Isn't it awesome to be here in God's house today? We do serve an awesome God, and whether you're worshiping right here on location or there online, I want to encourage you right now just to say, God is awesome. Yeah, look to your neighbor and say, God is awesome. Your other neighbor and say, God is awesome. Yes, he is awesome. I know that you know this, but you are a very blessed church to have this phenomenal music and this time of worship that we've had this morning. And then obviously, you have an amazing pastor and first lady here, and Dr. Danny and Ashley Forshe. And it is an honor beyond words for me to have this opportunity to be here today to celebrate this, this decade of difference that God has used him and them to lead here in this amazing church. And we've heard so many great things about what God has done, but I believe that the best is still yet to come. Can I get a witness in the house today? And if you're there online, you can type amen, glory, hallelujah, or anything, right? Yes, God's done great things, but the best is yet to come. And um, I want to talk to everybody who's kind of younger for just a moment, because I heard this years ago, a friend of ours, uh, Dr. Jay Strack, said this. I heard it probably 25, 30 years ago the first time. He said, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. And he also said that you'll know the trajectory of your life based on the books you read, the places you go, and the people you run with. And you never know how God is going to sovereignly place people in your life. And in my own life, 33 years ago this past spring, I boarded a minibus with about uh, 25 other young preachers. And we were going to travel at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary to preach the gospel over spring break. And I was so fired up. I was so excited. And I didn't know anyone on the bus and got on the bus and we were packed. And it was so packed that at times, in order to kind of get a little breathing room, people would, would literally get down and, and lay in the aisle just to kind of get some sleep because we drove all night long. And, and I got off in southern Illinois. But on that first trip from Dallas-Fort Worth all the way to southern Illinois, I had the honor of meeting then Danny Forshee. That was before he was Dr. Danny Forshee. And immediately, we were listening to preachers. I know you're probably thinking, that sounds crazy, but that's what us preachers do. We love to hear the Word of God preached too. We listened to preaching on the bus, drive up, cassette tapes, and immediately I realized this man loves Jesus, and he loves those who are far from him. And 33 years later, you know what I know about Dr. Danny Forshee? He loves Jesus. He loves others who are far from him. Ministry is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And he has been running this ministry marathon faithfully, he and his wife together. And it's such an honor to see how God is using him, has used him, and I believe is going to continue to use him. I know him very well. He is a man, as was prayed a moment ago, of integrity and humility. Uh, he reminds me of Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in due season. And whatever he does prospers. That's the kind of man 
you have leading you here at Great Hills Baptist Church. I know you know that, but I just want to echo that. I've observed it for 33 years. By the way, you may not know this. He actually has two doctorate degrees. Like two? Yeah, he has the PhD in evangelism. He also has the doctor of ministry in church growth and evangelism. You didn't know that, did you? Because for a brief season when he was, uh, when he was uh, teaching at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, I was in the process of doing my doctorate. And let's just say I would not have graduated had it not been by the grace of God and the grace of Dr. Danny Forsheet. <laughs> so that's the other doctorate I'm talking about. I love you. My wife sends her greetings. She loves you all. And it is an honor to be with you today. Would you bow with me, please, for a word of prayer? Would you just simply voice a prayer to the Lord right now and ask him to speak to your heart, whether you're here or at home. Just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And now, Lord, you are awesome. We do stand amazed in your presence. And I thank you that whether we're here or whether we're at home or whether we're watching this, perhaps somewhere else, that Jesus, you're here. But we long to hear now from your voice. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. And give me, give us the courage to say yes to whatever you ask us to do. In Christ's name. And all the church said, amen. If you have a copy of the Word of God, would you please turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, that's about 90% of the way through your Bible. If you use a paper Bible like I like to use, 90, 95%. Hebrews chapter 2. We'll get there in just a moment. Or you can jump on your electronic device. But before we get to there, I want to tell a story because I love my wife. Someone mentioned earlier, uh, my wife. Well, we've been married almost 11 years. Uh, I didn't get married till later in life. I'm a little slow, but it's worth the wait because my wife is unbelievable. I was 46 years old. She was a widow, and her husband, who was a pastor, passed away along with her 13-year-old son, and it left her with five kids. And so God allowed me the honor of meeting her, marrying her, and I adopted all five kids. Let's just say, again, our God is awesome. I'm telling you, he is awesome. She is proof positive, and those kids are that God answers prayer. I can just tell you that. She was worth the wait. But every year, we take an anniversary vacation trip together. And several years ago, we were vacationing at one of our favorite places at the beach, and she kept hinting that she thought it would be fun to rent a boat and perhaps take a you know, little cruise for lunch. Well, I don't really know anything about boats. I haven't uh, operated boats basically at all. I mean, one time for just a few minutes. So I really don't know anything about them. But then she found a 50% off coupon. I thought, well, hey, you know, this, is, this must be a sign. She knows the way to my heart. A deal's a deal, right? 50% off. So I call the guy, book the boat. We go down there and he tells me everything about operating it. And he even puts in the GPS a great waterfront restaurant that we could enjoy lunch at. So He's about to launch us out, but he says these words. Whatever you do, do not go into the Gulf of Mexico. Stay in the intercoastal waterway. Sure, sounds simple enough. Follow the GPS. About an hour cruise on this sunshiny day toward the south. And then we get down to the area, the docks where uh, this waterfront restaurant was. And I call in and the dock master tells me, you know, how to, to navigate the boat. And remember, I have no idea what I'm doing. And there's all these big, uh, I think they call them yachts, is that right? Uh, oh, yachts, all right. So they, had, so they had all these, you know, it's country folk. They had all these big yachts in there, I mean, huge ones. 
And I'm trying to navigate this boat in there and everybody's no doubt laughing because I had no clue what I was doing. But miraculously, we finally got it locked up or uh, tied up to the dock. Went in, had a phenomenal lunch, great conversation, jumped back in. I go through the no-wake zone, start heading the intercoastal waterway. I'm thinking, man, I'm getting, this is awesome. I can do this. I love this boating thing. Well, the, the uh, marina where we had rented the boat was down quite a ways in this inlet. And we arrived a little early. I thought, well, why not just kill the motor and enjoy the sunshine, enjoy the water? My wife was loving being on the water. So we did just that. And as time passed, the boat went from, you know, kind of moving like this to like this. And before long, it was going like this. By the way, I get seasick fairly easily. And we looked up, and the marina that had seemed not that far away was a long ways away because we had drifted to the very place we were told not to go, the Gulf of Mexico. Have you ever found yourself drifting in life? Maybe in your marriage, in your parenting, maybe in a friendship, uh, perhaps your finances. How about, uh, this is a touchy one for me, diet and exercise. Now, maybe you didn't get COVID-19, and I hope you didn't get the COVID-19, but how many of you here or at home understand that there was another COVID-19? Are you with me? Yeah, so easy to drift in our diets. But have you ever found yourself drifting spiritually? All we have to do to drift is nothing. And when we found ourselves drifting that day from the intercoastal waterway out onto the Gulf of Mexico, we had done absolutely nothing, nothing. And when you're drifting, you don't even realize you're drifting. And it's almost uncanny how the seas of society, the ways of the world, and the current of culture is constantly trying to push us farther and farther away from God and the things of God. So if we're not intentionally moving forward by faith in our journey with Jesus, we will drift. And so that's why the scripture here in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1 warns us. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, 1, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Now, notice these, these words. Now, just by the way of a backdrop, the writer is writing to Hebrews, uh, to Jewish followers of Jesus, and, and he is trying to encourage them. And he is saying, listen up, pay close attention, because we need to remember what we've heard so that we do not drift away. Now, perhaps you, you've, you've maybe just, maybe just, maybe just, maybe have, have, have drifted before like I found myself, and I'm embarrassed to tell you drifting. Because in Hebrews chapter 1, he, he reminds us of who we're not to drift from. Notice that word there, drift, it's a nautical term. And the idea there is a boat that is not anchored, a boat that is not moored to the dock, that is, is floating at the whims of the waves. He says, be careful not to find yourself in that, that, that state, spiritually speaking. And he says, we've got to pay attention to what we have heard. 
Now in Hebrews chapter 1, he is reminding them of how Jesus is God's final revelation to mankind. Yeah, he spoke through prophets and yes, he spoke through visions and dreams. But he says in these last days, he has spoken to us by the word of his son. And he talks about how Jesus is the creator, how Jesus is the sustainer, how that Jesus is sovereign, how that Jesus is king, how that Jesus is savior, how he completed uh, the work needed to be done on the cross when he shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. He was buried, rose again, and he is even seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, do not forget all that Jesus Christ has done for you. And if I'm not careful, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves drifting spiritually because we just simply kind of get casual toward God and the things of God. And he slaps a big warning label on this verse and says, don't do that. Be careful because the danger of drifting spiritually is very costly. And during this COVID season, we've kind of been in what we might call an abnormal time, right? I mean, has it been weird or what? I mean, this is yes, this is no. Make some hearts on the screen or something, all right, so that you can, you're engaged. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, it's been kind of abnormal. We kind of went from a normal time. Now we're talking about a new normal. Well, the children of Israel, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, God says, are given to us as an example so that we don't make the same mistakes that they made. And for 400 years, they had... They were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. That was kind of normal to them. God raised up Moses and he wanted to, to lead them through this abnormal place called the wilderness to the new normal, which was the promised land. And spiritually speaking, I know from my own life, as God began to birth this message, just from my devotional reading of the word of God, that I found myself in this abnormal season of COVID that if I wasn't careful, I was drifting, forgetting, and truly not hot-hearted, grateful for God and all that he's done for me in Jesus Christ. And he said to me and he's saying to us, there's danger in drifting, the dangers of drifting. So then you might think, okay, well, then if we don't need to drift, what do we need to do? We've got to move forward by faith. And the children of Israel, if you recall, uh, got right up to the edge and the edge of the promised land. It was, they were about to take down the greatest real estate in all of human history. Moses sent in 12 spies to check out the land. They came back. 10 of the 12 said, man, there are giants there. The people are huge. They're strong. The, 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 there's huge walls around the cities. There's no way we can take them down. But there were two of the 12, uh, Joshua and Caleb, who said, man, it's ours. God has promised it. It is ours. We can take it. Yeah, they're bigger than us, but God is bigger than them. But the vision vandals, negative report, spread throughout the people of Israel, and listen carefully, they missed out on all that God wanted to experience them in what they might call a new normal. And I read that and I think, how, how, how could that happen? You see, the deadliness of disbelief is seen in their lives because they never experienced God's divine design, that generation rather, because God said, you know what? If you're not willing to trust me, then you're not going to the promised land. An entire generation had to die off in the wilderness. What was their problem? Listen carefully. They were unbelieving believers. They believed God could get them out of Egypt, but they did not believe God could get them into the promised land. They had enough faith, it seemed, to, to leave. But can God get us there? 
In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 10, if you kind of flip over a couple of pages in your Bible, it says this. God says, this is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. Do you see that? Drifting leads to disbelief. So when I don't have a hot heart for God and I'm not pressing into God and I'm not seeking him and, and I'm really wanting to know him and love him and serve him and obey him, then I begin to drift and it leads to disbelief. Because the children of Israel, the Bible says in Psalm 78, 11 says, they forgot what he had done. Now look at this, the wonders he had shown them. Now think about it. Here they are, the edge of the edge promised land, but yet they're not going in because of their disbelief. And again, disbelief will keep us from experiencing all God has for us. In fact, this is what they did. They forgot the wonders. Now, what were the wonders? They forgot how God has sent those 10 plagues in Egypt to free them from Egypt to take them toward the promised land. They forgot how God had parted the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army coming behind them. And once they got safely on the other side, God brought the waters back and Pharaoh and his army drowned right there before their very eyes. They forgot that. They forgot that God provided a GPS system, right? A cloud, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They forgot how God told Moses when they didn't have any water to drink, strike that rock and the Bible says that water came gushing out. They forgot all that. In fact, they asked this question, Psalm 78, 19. They spoke against God and they said, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? Verse 22, for they did not believe God or trust in his deliverance. Now I read that and I think, are you kidding me? Are you serious? They had all this evidence for belief yet chose disbelief. And the price tag of their disbelief was death in the desert, never experiencing the promised land. Now I have a, 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 a he had an English teacher uh, and a history teacher, husband and wife. The English teacher is a very godly woman. She's in heaven today. And, and, and my bad English is, she was, she was great. It's not her fault, all right? Her husband taught me history. Very godly man as well. And he used to tell us in class that the only thing we've learned from history is that we haven't learned from history. Now, when I read what the children of Israel did, and they ask, can God feed us in the waters? Can God spread a banquet table out here amongst this dry, dusty desert? Can God provide water here? I'm like, what were they thinking? But we do the same thing, do we not? We find ourselves in a pandemic. Can God provide for me and my family in this loss of job? Can God heal my marriage? Can God bring my wayward child home? Can God free me from this addiction? Can God heal me from my hurts and hangups? And we ask God over and over and we question our own minds. Can God, can God, can God, can God intervene in my hopeless situation? Can God is a statement of unbelief, but God can is a statement of belief. 
and see as followers of Jesus Christ and here at Great Hills Baptist Church because I know enough about you and obviously your amazing pastor and his wife. I believe that God can provide for our needs in this pandemic. I believe God can help me be who he wants me to be. I believe that God can heal my marriage. God can bring that wayward child home. That God, God can free me from our hurts and hangups. God can free me from this addiction. God can, God has, God does. Because we serve an awesome God as we've been singing about this morning. And he is able. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all we could ever imagine, ask or think according to his will that works within us. That's the God that we serve. And my dear friend, may I remind you of the book of Hebrews itself says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has not changed, and he's not going to change. He is on the throne today, church, and he is in large, and he is in charge. He is not caught off guard by anything going on in your life or our life or in our world. God can. God can. God does. And if I had time today, I could tell you, how many things God has done for me, but we don't have time for that today. So the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness and never experienced the new normal God had for them. And if I'm not careful, if we're not careful, we too can wander in the wilderness spiritually and never experience the, the new normal God has for us. Like, well, what is that? Well, God's desire for us is very clear. He wants us to learn in Hebrews 3 and 4, he talks about resting in him. The, the picture of Canaan, the promised land, is an illustration for us as followers of Christ to, to find our hope, our rest, our peace, our joy, our contentment in him. Because when we have him, we have every single thing we need. And the scripture so warns us, though, that only comes as we move forward by faith. So it warns us not to harden our hearts. Hebrews 3 and 4, he says it at least three times. In verse 15, he says, As just has been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Notice the word today. Right now. Here or wherever you may be worshiping. This moment, God's saying to me, hey, John Cross, don't harden your heart. He's saying to you, don't harden your heart. Instead, listen, hear for his voice. And maybe, just maybe, God is speaking to, to you right now through his word. And he's saying to us, don't have a hardened heart. What's a hardened heart? It's an unbelieving heart, a heart of entitlement, an unyielding heart, an unbending heart, a heart that is no longer sensitive to God or the things of God because, you see, when we drift, then we can find ourselves in disbelief and death and because of disobedience. And he warns us here. It's, it's a calloused heart. Growing up in the country in, in Georgia, um, one of my responsibilities is at home and also actually had a job working for a guy doing it was cutting firewood. And uh, back in the day, when I was a young man, I didn't even wear the gloves. And of course, when you're swinging that axe, when you're operating a chainsaw and you're swinging that sledgehammer, uh, using that maul to split open, pop open. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I know I'm in the city and everything. Does anybody, somebody raise their hand, say, uh-huh, oh, yeah, or something. Y'all yeah. know what I'm talking about. Uh, I know you're all dignified and sophisticated and everything. But, but, I, but, but you know, so you, you split that, man, 
And, and over time, you would get calluses on your hand. Slowly, by doing the same thing over and over. And if you take a pen and prick your hand where you have a callus, you can't even hardly feel it. But if you prick your hand where there is no callus, it's, it's painful. And when our hearts become calloused toward God and the things of God, we don't sense the pricking of the Holy Spirit. And our hearts become hard. And it's dangerous. Because if we do something long enough, the same thing long enough, we become good at it, including saying no to God. Now, I know what some of us may be thinking, wait a minute here. <laughs> wrong message for the wrong time because we're in church today and we're glad and we're logged in online. And hey, we're thrilled as you are. That's awesome. But when Jesus was here on earth, in his ministry, it's interesting when you study the Gospels that some of the people who had the hardest hearts looked great on the outside, but on the inside, there was, they were diligent in their religion, but distant in their relationship. And I'm embarrassed to tell you, growing up in church with wonderful parents, wonderful Sunday school teachers just like you, and leaders who loved me, encouraged me, taught me God's word, that because I know what I'm supposed to do and what I'm supposed to say, there have been times, and I'm embarrassed to tell you, that because I didn't obey the promptings of God's Holy Spirit, things may have looked good externally, but internally I was, I was living in rebellion to God of something God was pointing into my life I needed to do. And it scares me to think of where I could only by God's grace be today if I did not sense the promptings of the Holy Spirit to say, yes, Lord. And I know some of us in this room could identify and say the same thing. Because when our hearts become calloused, all of a sudden we, we, we get to thinking, well, delayed obedience is not disobedience. And as a pastor, I've seen this happen time and again. I know that's what the Bible says. Say it with me. But... I know that's what I should do, but I, I, and I don't know what the Holy Spirit may be prompting you right now to do. It could be for the first time to become a follower of Jesus. We so pray that that today would be your day. Today, hear his voice. Don't harden your heart. Others of us here are online. Maybe the Holy Spirit's saying you need to pick up the phone and reconcile a relationship. Maybe you felt wronged. And you need to forgive, or the role could be vice versa. You need to call and ask for forgiveness. Perhaps you've made a decision to follow Christ, but you've never been baptized biblically through immersion. And you're, you're balking at that. And the Holy Spirit is nudging you. That is your next step. Uh, maybe the Holy Spirit of God is prompting you as a husband to, to, to make some things right with your wife because of some strife or something in your, I don't know, our Holy Spirit may be saying to you as a wife to, to, to make some things right with your husbands, kids with parents, parents with kids. I don't know what it is. But we talk a lot and we pray a lot, and I know it's your pastor's heart because we have been praying our entire ministry that we would see a move of God, a revival, a spiritual awakening in our lives and our land. 
But it has to start with me and it has to start with you and it has to start with us saying, Lord, whatever you're saying in me, I want to do. Remember what, what, what G- Mary said to Jesus' disciples that day at that wedding when, when they ran out of wine and, and, and she ran to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, uh, we got to do something here. And long story short, she looked at Jesus, uh, rather to, to some of the workers there and said, hey, whatever he says to you, do it. And he said, go fill the water pots with water. But that wasn't what they were supposed to do. They didn't need water. Jesus said, go do it. And they did. Long story short, he worked his first miracle there. John chapter 4. And, 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 and all we need to do is whatever the Holy Spirit says to us, we need to do it. If we don't, our hearts become hard. And when God's Spirit speaks to us, we've got to act. Not now, excuse me, not later, but now, because self-deception is the worst form of deception. So what is he saying to you today? What is the Holy Spirit prompting you to do? How, 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 how do we make things right? Well, when my wife and I recognized and realized that we were in the Gulf of Mexico, I had a decision to make. I could drift farther and farther westward away from the marina, or I could fire the boat up, which I did, turn the boat around and head toward the landmark, the marina. And so by God's grace, we made it safely back. And the same is true spiritually. Instead of drifting away from God, we've got to say, okay, now, Lord, I want to come back to you and we have to repent That's what the U-turn is. That's what I did in that boat. I repented. I turned from drifting westward to driving eastward. And we followed the GPS and headed back to the landmark. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to follow the GPS of the Word of God. Our landmark is the Lord. We've got to come back to Him. That's where we have to go. When I was a boy, we used to sing a song in church. Where could I go but to the Lord? And our loving Heavenly Father right now is waiting if you've drifted spiritually to come home. Jesus tells the story of a man who had two sons in the Gospel of Luke. You've heard it before. We call it the prodigal son. And the younger son said to his dad, hey, I'd like to cash out. Can you give me my inheritance? I want to move out of here. He left home, went to a foreign land, the Bible says, parted it up, blew through, burned through all of his cash. A famine rose in the land, economic crisis. And he found himself feeding hogs. And one day the Bible says he came to himself. And he said, you know, my dad's staff live better than this. I'm going to go home and see if I'm not worthy to be my dad's son anymore, but I'll just ask if I could work for him. So he got up, started heading home. The Bible records, though, that before he even got home, his father saw him a great distance away. And he ran out to his son, hugged him, kissed him, called back to other staff and said, hey, my son that I thought was dead is alive again. Bring the best robe. Bring the the, the family ring. Fire up the grill. We're going to have a pate. My son who I thought was dead is alive. He is back home. And they had a great celebration because he came home. And that loving Heavenly Father, which is waiting for him to come, 
as he is for us today. But again, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but having grown up in church and having been blessed to sit in some great teachers and preach of the Word of God, it wasn't just, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, I realized there's actually two prodigal sons in that story. Because the older brother was out in the field working. He heard the partying going on. He comes home, asks one of his dads, hey, what's, what's happening here? What's, what's all the commotion about? Oh, have you not heard? Your brother's back. It's like, what? Yeah, your, your brother's home. He wasn't dead. He, he's back. We're having a party to celebrate. Your dad's throwing a party for him. The Bible says that that, that older, son's, uh, older son burned with anger. He was not happy at all. He went to his dad and said, hey, dad, listen, I don't get it. Your son burned through all the money, went out and lived in sin. He comes home and you throw a party, but yet all this time I've been here. I've been loyal to you. I've been working for you. I've been faithful to you. I've never checked out. I've never gone. I, I'm, I'm right here. You've never done anything for me. Do you see how selfish and self-centered the older brother was and how self-righteous he was? Look good on the outside. But the inside was exposed. See, he had wandered from home inwardly, but yet not externally. And the story closes with us not knowing if he ever was reconciled to his father. But the good news is, is that the heavenly father wants to reconcile with us, whether it's very obvious that we've drifted or maybe those around us would not even know what's going on in our life spiritually. Our loving heavenly father says, come home. Would you bow for prayer? What steps do we need to take today? Well, it's whatever that next step is that the Holy Spirit of God has prompted you in your life. Whether it's to, first of all, follow Jesus. And if you're here today and you've never chosen to follow Christ, I want you to know he loves you or you're there online, you're at home, maybe you're in your car, on the road, I don't know, but wherever you are, God, the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. This is your time. This is your moment. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. You know why? Because now is the only time we know we have. So right here, right now, why not just call out to God or right there where you are and cry out to Jesus by, first of all, the Bible says all of us have sinned, come short of God's glory. We've missed God's standard of perfection. The wages of our sin is death, not just physically, but most importantly, spiritually away from God for all of eternity in a real place called hell. And God will not send you there. You will have to make that choice yourself. But if you say no to God in this life, he allows you to have in eternity what you chose here, which is life apart from him. That is not his desire at all. He is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So God's heartfelt desire here or whether you're online is for you today to cry out to him and say, okay, Jesus, I am a sinner. And then I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, was buried, rose again on the third day. He paid in debt, paid in full the sin debt that I have. And today I want to ask him to forgive me, surrender, and then I want to ask him to become my master, my Lord, turn from living life my own way, and I want to follow you. If that's you, wherever you are, whatever age you are, whether you've heard of this for the first time or the 100,000th time, today is your day. Now is your time. So why not pray and just say, Jesus, 
make these your words. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And today I, I ask you to come into my life and I want to follow you. I surrender to you. Give me the strength to turn from living life my own way. And from this day forward, Jesus, I want to follow you. And the Bible says whoever calls on his name will be saved. That word whoever is a great word. It means everybody. And if you made that decision today, there'll be some leaders from the church here in the, the hallway just outside these doors that would love to talk to you about that faith decision. You'll hear more about that and where to meet them in just a moment. But maybe, just maybe, there's some of us who've realized we've been drifting. And the Holy Spirit of God is pointing things in our lives that we need to do. Why not decide now and surrender now and ask God to forgive you and pray that God will work fresh in you in our lives and in our lands, that God would visit us again with a fresh move of his spirit and awaken and revival. And our Lord Jesus, I pray that because of your goodness and grace, you would just continue to move in our hearts. Help me, Lord, help us, Lord, to make that course correction where we run back to you, knowing, Father, that is your desire. We want to have hearts that are tender, that are pliable, that are moldable, that are sensitive to you and your spirit's leading. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.